I'm Roger, and this is Two Vets Upstate. I hope you all are enjoying the end of September. Just a reminder, uh, leave us a rating and review uh, on your favorite podcasting platform. We would really appreciate it. Um, because it would take, it would make uh, what we are eating and drinking today taste a lot better. Andrea, what are you eating and or drinking? So eating, I would like you all to know that Stuart pumpkin pie and Philly apple pie ice cream is out. And wow. It was my mom's birthday yesterday, and we definitely killed a carton of each. Um, Stuart's also has decided to have another um, special flavor for the season called Civility. It is vanilla with salted caramel swirl. I'm not sure how I feel about this for a number of reasons. The least Mm. of all being that salted caramel swirl is so 2017 and I was never that into it anyway. Um, I am also drinking a glass of Brotherhood Winery Riesling. Um, nice. Winery is the oldest winery in the United States. It is in Washingtonville, New York, which is in my part of upstate. It is not in the Finger Lakes. Um, and it's like really good. <laughs> it's really good. Are um, you, uh, was that a shot across the bow at the Finger Lakes? Because we will throw down. That was 100% a shot across the bow at the Finger Lakes. Uh, now I'm going to have to blow into the conch shell that, you know, summons my posse of people from Auburn and uh, skinny Atlas. <laughs> Roger, what are you eating or drinking this week? Well, let me tell you, um, I was eating dinner. Uh, now it is all on the floor, thanks to feeding a 14-month-old tonight, solo parenting. Uh, but I am drinking uh, some Saranac Lake American Pale Ale, brewed and bottled in Utica, New York, right there upstate. Yeah. Uh, and I will say, ah. <laughs> uh, for the longest time being a country kid, I will be honest and say that I didn't really know the difference in geography between Utica and Ithaca. Uh, I do now. Um, and I will use that as a really forced segue into... I was talking to someone who claimed that they went to Cornell earlier this week, and I made the really dorky joke, right? Ah, Cornell, Ithaca is gorgeous. And this person did not get it. What? Yeah, which makes me think they didn't really go to Cornell. They didn't go to Cornell. They definitely did not go to Cornell. There's no way. Right? I mean... And if you're going to pick a fake upstate New York college to go to, at least pick Hobart or Colgate or something. I mean, you know, have some have some standards. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So what's new with you, Andrea? Uh, I think we had uh, we both had a, a rooting interest this weekend. Uh, give us a little surprise. Yo, the Bills. The Bills, though. The Bills. I feel like so the Bills won. What was it? Um. 27 to 6. 27 to 6 against the um, Vikings. And it looks like this is going to shape up to be a pretty typical Buffalo Bills season where I spend the entire time like screaming because it just, you just don't know. 
You don't know how it's going to be. It's been a rough 25 years as a Bills fan. (laughs) I mean, at this point, I think I'm just, after having been to the first game and and losing so badly, I'm I'm perfectly content for this to be a 1-15 in season, and we just happen to have a very nice one win uh, yesterday. I'm trying to force myself to see the glasses half full on this one, but I don't don't know. I'm also torn between the fact that I'm a little bit like eh about the NFL right now and the fact that the bills are just so much of like my family life. Um, and that is true. Like I just can't um, separate the two. I mean, oh, and yeah, and, and just, I mean, I have two teams that I follow very closely and you can't convince me to like another team in that sport. And that's the Buffalo Bills for football and the New York Yankees for baseball. And like, I was brainwashed. My dad was pretty intent on my allegiances to these teams. And um, I mean, like the bills were my dad's excuse to talk to his dad every Sunday. Um, And so, and my dad also sends like weird, my dad likes to change the words to classic poems to make them about the bills. And he does it every Sunday. (laughs) But his favorite one, of course, is when they play Baltimore and he'll like rewrite the Raven. Um, I feel feel like I need to meet your dad immediately. Yeah. Yes. So of, of all the reasons to like not stop watching football, that's up there. Um, yeah, I, I feel like for our, our listeners, I don't feel like we have to tell our listeners, but if you haven't seen the ESPN 30 for 30, uh, Four Falls of Buffalo, pretty much perfectly describes my childhood. So go watch it. We'll talk about it on some future episode because it's, it's really good. Yeah, and I mean, Deadspin also has a special section devoted to Bill's tailgates, so come on. Um, Can't beat that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else is going on? Um, okay, let's talk about the veteran upstate New York things. I'm going to complain about the VA for a minute. So I'm really excited that the VA is about to get an infusion of money thanks to this new bill being signed into law by POTUS. Uh, And a lot of that money is going to go into electronic health records. So folks, let me tell you something. I have been a enrolled in VA healthcare since July of 2016. And today I went to my first primary care appointment in Albany, which I've been trying to get since August or no, since June and they couldn't find my record. The last record they found went back to when I was still on active duty in 2015. I'm just like very frustrated with the fact that the VA advertises integrated healthcare, and it works when you're all under one house and one like local system. But it is they just haven't figured out people moving yet, and it's really really frustrating. For that, like, eventually someone figured out how to find most of my records, but they didn't find, like, I have more access to my records through my healthy vet than they did. How is that possible? I don't know. I don't know how that's possible. It does not make any sense to me. It's not like they're, like, lost. Like, they're in 
a sister. <laughs> I was just like, and I was just getting like really irritated with them because I was just like, I just don't, I don't want to keep explaining myself. And they, I mean, they like, they, and like I said, like my frustration has not been with care. It's been completely with administration, which is not just a VA issue because I've had, I had similar issues with partners in health in Boston being just an administrative shit show. It it's, it's a healthcare management issue, but I mean, absolutely. This is one that affects vets. So I'm going to complain about it and say it's an issue because it's a fucking issue. Yeah. I mean, the, the administrative issue is not like small, oh, it's just paperwork. That is the, the basis for care in a lot of uh, localities. Yeah. The RAND study that we keep going back to, especially yeah. on this show, um, 98% of upstate care providers unable to provide care for veterans fully yeah. is because of administrative reasons, not being able to or even caring to ask or knowing to ask, are you a veteran? Right. Basic stuff like that is not part of the healthcare system right now. Uh, somebody needs to take the reins and lead thoroughly uh, instead of putting together what is essentially nice words, nice catchphrases, but not actual progress or leadership. And they're just these odd roadblocks that I don't understand. So like, I've been pretty transparent about this. I have some arthritis issues. People with arthritis go to see rheumatologists. And so like I go to, I was going to a rheumatologist pretty regularly in Boston. And then I transfer, I, you know, missed my, I had to cancel my regular appointment because I moved And rather than transfer me to rheumatology in the VA system in Albany, I basically got put back into the, like, needing a referral. And like, oh, you need a referral to go to rheumatology. I'm like, I fucking have one. They're like, oh, but it's from Boston. It doesn't count. (laughs) We're going to have to bleep that out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm really no. irritated about this, and this has been going on since July. Don't you don't you censor your passion on this show, my friend? Yeah, you do it. Yeah. Um. So now that that's all happened, <laughs> and we've discussed <laughs> that, I'm heading back on the road end of the week. So I am upstate in my awesome house, and I do have the fireplace on because it is fall, and like I live in. Halloween town fall puked everywhere. Um, <laughs> yo, the pumpkin lot at Harvest Harvest Far at a uh, Golden Harvest this weekend was on point. Um, so I'm heading back on the road. I'm heading to Charleston for a couple of days. I'll be speaking at the Citadel on Friday. Um, then I'll be in New York City Monday, Tuesday, um, and then I head to San Francisco, and then I'll be back here for um the long weekend in october um and i published my capstone or rather tufts finally published it because it has to go through an approval process so that's that's pretty exciting um yeah congratulations i was excited to read it and i know that we're going to talk about it later right Yeah. yeah so roger what is new with you Oh boy. Um, it was a kind of a quiet weekend, uh, in the Misso household. 
Uh, we stayed in. We watched uh, Syracuse go to four and zero. Their football team on the season. Um, some other games, which we'll talk about a little bit later, may or may not have a surprise guest. We'll see. We are definitely house hunting, really in full speed, full steam. Pick your military and or you know locomotion metaphor. Um, we're house hunting back in central New York. Uh, we still have a little bit of time, so we're trying not to rush at the first thing that we love, but there's a lot to love. And um, yeah, we're, we're pretty stoked to come back. So I will say though, that fall just sort of, it just sort of happened, right? I, I, I expect a lot more grandiose uh, transition, I guess, into the, into the season. But one day it was 90 degrees and humid. And then the next day it was I don't know, like a Harry Potter novel or something. What what the hell happened? I know. I mean, it, it seriously, fall was just like, surprise, we're here. I'm cool with that, though. So what's going on in the rest of New York? Uh, since the last time that we recorded, we had a state primary. And Andrew, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So, um uh, Governor Cuomo prevailed, um, beating Cynthia Nixon, um, which was pretty expected. Um, Kathy Holchel, who's the um, incumbent um, lieutenant governor, beat Jumane Williams in a very close race. Letitia James uh, beat uh, Zephyr Teachout and uh, Congressman Maloney. Um, and man, if you look at, at the... <sighs> Zephyr Teachout can't get a break. Yeah. Um, Man, gosh. But look at how I really encourage everyone to take a look at the map and how the state voted for attorney general. Like that is, I mean, we forget the cookie monster map. That is the map of what is upstate, what is downstate, what is Western New York. Because downstate and Long Island voted for, which, I mean, Long Island is basically downstate, voted for James. Upstate New York, I mean, with the exception of Maloney's district, which is kind of in the no man's land between upstate and downstate, everything going all the way up to Canada voted for um, Teach Out, and then pretty much central and western New York minus Ithaca voted for Maloney and wow, (laughs) divide. It's crazy. It's crazy that in not a single upstate County did Letitia James come anywhere higher than third. She was third of what was essentially three strong candidates. There was also a fourth candidate in the race, Um, but she didn't, I think aggregate, if you took the counties, we count as upstate. Uh, she pulled it. Uh, she finished with maybe seventeen percent of the vote. It's just, uh, I, I don't. We've uh, we've tweeted about this both, you know, individually and from the two vets uh, Twitter account. Uh, just kind of crazy, and it, it makes me think, you know, number one, what would happen if there was a runoff uh, because nobody got above the fifty percent uh, marker, and number two, what would happen if we just had ranked choice voting? Uh, which is something that a lot of political science people uh, view as as maybe a better way to do elections. You know, it would have led to, in all probability, a a much different result. And it wouldn't have sort of done what this result did, which is shut out 
uh, voters from upstate New York, Democrats from upstate. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I, I always, where I live in particular is very interesting in how people vote and conceptualize the issues because where I live has just a lot of people who spent a lot of time living both up here and in the city, um, whether they're fully transplants or, um, like my brother, they grew up here. They spent some, and my, and my stepdad, they grew up here. They spent some time in the city. Then they came back. Um, there it's, it's really tough. There just aren't that many candidates who really seem to get that, like it is actually possible to meet the needs of the entire state. And I, I did frankly feel like uh, Teach Out was probably a standout candidate amongst all of the races yes. of, of, of somebody who got that. Most of the most of the results were pretty expected. What was really it seemed like the point of people getting really um, revved up about the primary was to end the IDC, the Independent Democrats Coalition, which is gone. Bye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Sorry, was that too much? (laughs) No, too much. Not too much. Never too much, Roger. I'm just here drinking my wine, talking about New York State politics. Um... (laughs) Although we do have, we do have, you know, what else is going on in New York State? This is not politics at all, but it is exciting. So we recently learned that um, there's going to be a Veterans Day at Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame, Cooperstown, New York, November 7th. And the Baseball Hall of Fame is going to be free to veterans um, and I believe their families. Um, and there are also going to be uh, resources there. So mark your calendars. It's a great excuse to go to Cooperstown, which is in the 19th Congressional District. Um, Jeez, what What isn't in the 19th Congressional District these days? Matters. Um, oh, Kinderhook, New York, by the way, is actually responsible for the fact that OK is still part of the vernacular, by the way. Um, yeah, we're gonna have to table that one. <laughs> that's another one. That's that, that, that's for gotta, day, but just, you, just throw that out there. But yeah, you gotta you gotta pace your Columbia County stories here. I don't want you to. <laughs> I don't want you to <laughs> run out of them. I oh, I never will. Um, but <laughs> speaking of baseball, Roger, what what is going on in in baseball that that we would that we would care about on this podcast? Well, a damn Greek tragedy followed up by sweet victory. So the Boston Red Sox, may God smite them forever. Um, Ashley Nicholas, guest 001, this is a shout out to you. Um, thought we were going to have Ashley on tonight, but she's too busy going to law school or something that Red Sox fans do, I guess. Awesome. Red Sox clinched the AL East title and the first seed in the baseball playoffs in Yankee Stadium. Whatever. I guess they're pretty good. Uh, But the Yankees followed it up a couple nights later by beating the Orioles and snagging the first wild card spot in the baseball playoffs. Waiting to see who they'll play. The winner of that game will go to Fenway 
to play the Red Sox in the first round of the of the playoffs, which will be exciting. So, um, also thinking of our first guest, Ashley Nicholas, a West Point grad. Uh, may God rest her soul. Man, <laughs> Army football <sighs> looking pretty good. Uh, went to number five Oklahoma this weekend. Took them to overtime. Uh, they they eventually lost, but man, anytime you're taking on a team that good, that high up in the polls, uh, away from home, uh, hey, good on Army, uh, West Point, New York. You know, as a Navy football fan, uh, our hats, caps, whatever, off to all of you up there. Uh, really well done and good showing. What else is going on here across the nation that impacts vets, Andrea? What should we talk about first? Um, as many of you know, still a drilling reservist here. And I, so first of all, I mean, I could go talk all day about how it's just a really odd thing to be both a veteran and a reservist. But um, I Frank, like I'm going to write, I want to write an article about this, about how like the administrative nightmare of the Navy reserve is what makes me want to quit. It's not the possibility that I might be deployed. It's not any kind of, for some people it is strain, but it's like administrative idiocy that doesn't need to be there. Like the fact that I applied to do joint professional military education in July, found out today that I was accepted and needed to let them know tomorrow that um, I will take the course and then have 10 days for my unit and the NOSC to approve my points. And there is no drill weekend in that, that period of time. Um, and uh, I have confidence that my unit will do it on time. I have no confidence the NOSC will. And it's just one of a series of a number of reserve things where, I mean, my experience with the Navy Reserve can be summed up as follows. And speaking to people who are reservists in other branches, this is similar. I plan ahead so that I can do things on my calendar when I'm available to work on them and also because things go wrong at some point. I get laughed at and ignored because I'm planning ahead. Then all of a sudden I'm like jumping through my ass to like do something at the last minute, paperwork, something in the middle of my work day and then find out that like a travel claim that I've already put in four times is delinquent. And it's just... It sounds ridiculous, but this happens so consistently and is such a drain from things like, like I lost three hours of my work day today. Jeez. Yeah. Dealing with reserve stuff. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I have to make that, I'm going to make that back up. Like I, you know, I'm going to work some more after we do this podcast. I'm going to do it on the weekend, but that was not stuff that that was all correcting basically other people's shit. And this is, this is consistent. It's been consistent for the two and almost two and a half years that I've been in the reserves. 
And I've now heard from people on Twitter who've been in 15 years. I've spoken to, I will say one of the great things about the reserves is that you, your relationships with senior people are a little bit less formal than they are in active duty. I've, you know, I've spoken to very senior people in the reserves who say that it's why they've seen junior officers that they've commanded leave. It's a, like, it's, it's awful. And I think it's a really underappreciated talent pool that is being horribly neglected. And that is my, one of many rants that you will hear from me today. But I, I, I needed to go there. So, reserve. <laughs> I, I, we're not friends, but uh, we're frenemies. We're frenemies because I like what the reserves, reserves enables me to do. But dear God. <laughs> well said. Well said. Um, well, I'm going to get on a, a soapbox for a minute uh, before we, we pivot to the, the bulk of the episode today. Um, <clears throat> to talk about the uh, next thing that's impacting vets across the nation, and that is the conversation around the Brett Kavanaugh nomination to the Supreme Court. And I think more specifically, the notion of reporting sexual assault. Let me just let me just start, I think, here by saying that nobody is owed a confirmation for life to the Supreme Court. The Republic will stand if one fewer fraternity brother uh, is not appointed for life to the Supreme Court. So I, I think we'll be okay. This is at its core a Senate hearing on confirming one man, as I said, to a position for life. And we ought to take all allegations of misconduct, of bad judgment, seriously. Especially, I think, in light of his policy positions. And that's all I'll say on that. But there is a way to have a conversation about sexual assault and the reporting of sexual assault in this country it is not to talk about due process like it's a dog whistle. And it is what it is for a lot of people. When 994 of 1,000 perpetrators of sexual assault in this country walk free without any legal ramifications, that is not due process. If, if that is due process, then the system is not working for 50% of our country. And that, to me, is wrong. So don't come into a conversation about creating a country, a system, a legal system that encourages and supports the timely reporting of sexual assault by waving due process around like some sort of righteous rubber glove. I don't think that's a way to have this, uh, this sort of conversation. Uh, so with that, Andrea, we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, your capstone recently published by Tufts, by the Fletcher School. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that started, where the idea came from, and, and a little bit of what it's all about? Yeah. So I knew when I got to graduate school that I wanted to do something about service women or women veterans, because I, I had realized um, through my time working, um, writing for Task and Purpose and the feedback that I was getting that 
it was reflecting a just stories weren't getting told and and I realized that very few women veterans were telling your stories um there were very few narratives about women veterans like collectively that were written by women but actually there were none there is no volume out there that studies women veterans that is a by a woman veteran um there's actually a book coming out next year that's written almost entirely by women veterans and i'm one of the contributors to it now this has been done by men before um and 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 there have been there's been work done on service women not so much on women veterans as academic. There has been some work that's been done by journalists on women veterans, but there were always these little pieces missing. And those pieces missing were the, the kinds of details that for those of us who had the lived experience, we took for granted until we realized that they weren't being told. And I realized that the work that was out there, largely th their conclusions were my start point. So I wanted to find a way to both just be a storyteller and tell pe help people tell their stories because I knew that um, as someone who had been in their shoes, they knew that I would understand them. And then also take that and my own understanding and mix it with academic research. So what I wrote is called, um, in academic terms, an autoethnography. It's a cultural study, um, but it's a cultural study that also has my own stories woven in, which was not something I planned to do, but it was something that I ultimately decided was necessary. And the point was really to understand why women veterans don't identify as veterans. Um, most don't. Most women veterans don't participate in they don't identify actively identify as veterans and, and a way that you'll really see it is looking at who's in a veteran facing organization. And, and a lot of it also has to do with this. We've talked about this before on the podcast, this just like stupid artificial hierarchy of whose service really matters, who's a real combat veteran and so you might have someone who was a surface warfare officer driving ships at sea, which is incredibly dangerous. Um, you know, so collisions with, that the U.S. Navy had last year with the loss of quite a few sailors. I mean, it's dangerous work. And you don't choose where you go. And yet there's still this kind of like hierarchy put in. And women really feel that. Not just because of the kinds of jobs that they might do, but because they're more likely to be questioned on their presence in the military from day one. Um, and so there's a level of just wanting, just kind of being over it. 
Um, there, a lot of women I talked to were very proud of their service, but they had to code switch when they were serving in mm. a way that men didn't. And what's actually very interesting is that I would love to continue this further to understand how transition affects people differently by gender. I think one of the biggest differences that the, at least one of the conclusions that I came to about differences between male and women, male and female veterans, and this is this is a generalization, but it, it kind of holds up. Men go from this culture where they feel like they can be most themselves to one where they feel misunderstood when they go from military back to being a civilian. Right. Whereas women go from one where they're not accepted and not understood to if they at least blend into like the fabric of society, they kind of do fit in. Now, of course, what's really challenging is that when they, first of all, you know, are proud of their service and want to kind of find that camaraderie again, or they have actual needs they're really lost. So that's one of the really strange things about being a female veteran is it's it's a lot easier to really like disappear back into civilian life. And some of that's just based on stereotypes. Um, and, and what, you know, a lot of people just wouldn't think of like someone who's a mom of three to be someone who might have like bronze star and purple heart, but... Um, but some of that is, is also, um, men perform masculinity in the military and women can't, uh, perform femininity in the military. It's actually looked really looked down upon. There's, there's, so there's just this dissonance and it's one of the things that I also, put in there was just there's there's I have actually found in the veteran community a tribe and belonging that I didn't find on active duty and that's because a lot of veterans have started to create these kinds of groups where we find all the people who like get us things like minority veterans of America or common defense or um i like for me it was a pat tillman foundation um i was selected as a tillman scholar i mean weeks after leaving active duty and had to go to the summit um as part of my scholarship and realized there were people like me and i think that's one of the reasons i identify as a veteran is because i realized there was a place for me and to me, it is a tragedy that women veterans in particular, although there are other groups of veterans and we're just under individual veterans who have this experience, but as a group, generally women veterans opt out and therefore don't get the opportunity to find that community of people who really get them. And they get what they've been through. They get where they are. They get where they want to be. Yeah, I, 
I'm reminded of a tweet that I saw just before we started recording the show from a friend of the show, Tegan Griffith up in Wisconsin. Uh, she had, uh, she called the lady veteran rant of the day and said, nothing makes me more angry than a man who goes out of his way in the parking lot to knock on my window and ask if my Marine Corps plates belong to me. Why do male veterans feel the need to do this? For fuck's sake, get your shit together. I mean, why? If you're First of all, if you're a veteran and you're a man and you're listening, don't do that and tell your friends not to do that, obviously. But one of the things that, Andrew, you talked about is storytelling. And you and I both know that storytelling is inherently risky. So how do... How do women or, or women veterans in particular overcome that risk in the veteran space? Um, so, of course, just come right for my column on task and purpose. Uh, <laughs> Good plug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which was frankly specifically created to tell stories from people who don't often get the opportunity to do so. Look, telling a story is putting yourself out there. But. Guys do it all the time and don't censor yourself and allow yourself to get rejected. Someone, oh, RT from our Truman cohort just had a piece published in Newsweek about, um, for Constitution Day, about the, you know, she said, this is not what I fought for. And it was a piece that she had pitched multiple times over months and it got rejected and rejected and rejected. And she kept seeing kind of basic stories being accepted elsewhere by people who supposedly fit the stereotypical mold of a veteran, but she was persistent and it got published in national news. And so that's some of the advice. It's first of all, just, just, just be ready to get rejected. It's not, personal and it actually frankly doesn't speak to your the value of your story or ability to write I get rejected all the time and um, it's a lot of it is is timing or it may be that that author already has someone else writing a similar story or they just you know it's just not the right time keep pitching and keep doing it and the other thing is, so I've noticed this now a lot, getting to edit other people's work. And that's the, the role that I now have running this column and as an editor is um, I have a contributing editor who helps people like write and sound and write beautifully. Um, what I try to do is tell the story that they, they really want to tell um, that was something that Lauren Katzenberg had always was phenomenal at in the um, years we worked together at Task and Purpose. But I've reckoned and realized that a lot of women might pitch their point to me, but then when they actually write the story, they start to kind of apologize for what they're trying to say because they it's, it's like someone who ducks because they're afraid they're going to get hit. Hmm. Yeah, and, that's a great visual. 
and and because you, you could just see it it's like you can tell that they've been criticized so intently for saying what they really mean which is something that people really need to hear that they start to apologize for it before they've even said it and so another thing that I would just say is say what you mean don't don't hide it don't apologize for it of course some people are going to be unhappy with it but that's the point of having good ideas is to make people uncomfortable and shake them from complacency when i hear you say this it's i feel like this is good reminders for everybody right we to tell more authentic stories we can't just go looking for that which confirms what we already know we have to look for and bring in and tell authentically those stories that aren't just the mainstream, you know, within two standard deviations of the mean. Um, because I think the most interesting stories are those outside of that mean, first of all. And then second of all, every person deserves to have their story be told. So that's important to me as somebody who cares about expanding the space of uh, folks writing in the veteran community as well. Um, can you talk about after publishing? There is a community of folks who you can fall back on and, and not have to feel alone in the sort of dealing with criticism phase. Can you talk about maybe how you've navigated that or, or who you rely on after you publish something and you accidentally click on the comment section of the article? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, I probably shouldn't admit that at this point. Um, at this point, I do read the comments, but there was a long period of time where I didn't because, like, if you read the comments, it's going to go one of two ways. You're either going to just feel te terrible or it's going to, like, inflate your ego. Um, I now read the comments because, A, they don't really bother me anymore um, in fact, I actually find it very interesting when people's comments prove the lead. And uh, also because I have had, I I've like had people post weird stuff about my family in there because like you can Google members of my family and like that's just weird and needs to be deleted. So weird, especially when they uh, comment with like their Facebook photo yeah. and a real name. <laughs> Yes, clearly their identity. Um, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, guys, don't worry about it. People see dumb shit on the internet, and um, it's really hard when, like, the first time I started writing, it was me under a pseudonym, and, like, five people knew I was doing it. And, like, I just wanted to be, like, hugged. <laughs> all the time by like those five people like oh my god <laughs> what am I doing but then you just start to I mean everybody find, find your support network and for everyone it's different it might be a community of writers or it might be a community of organizer it might just be like your roommates um or partners or it, it someone chose to publish what you had to say and that means it's important and if someone paid you for it, that makes you a professional writer. So <laughs> it, it does. It does. I, I would just say keep at it. And, and also the best thing about these communities is not 
it, I wouldn't say it's not well okay when when things go wrong it's really great to have that support or or when when you know, something goes viral that you didn't expect but it's just really good to have smart supportive people around you to make you better um I can certainly say Roger has read a lot of things that I've written some of which some of which got published and some of which are like still sitting on the hard drive months later marinating because I just haven't quite figured out exactly how I want to say what I want to say um and just we make and those are the people who are not just going to be there for you on you know the days where where you need a little bit of a a pick-me-up but man those people make you so much smarter for me I and I'm not ashamed or afraid to to call them out uh, on this podcast but I would say some of the best boosters that I have and interact with, especially on social media, uh, Kate Germano and Joe Plensler, anytime I write anything or, or any of my friends write anything, they are just always there with a nice note or a shout out. Um, same thing with uh, Jeanette Haney of the Marine Corps Reserves. She is also fantastic. Just a lot of a lot of goodness. Um, it's easy to fall, I think, into the comment section trap, <laughs> uh, which can be dangerous. But just know that there's just a sad corner of the internet and the world that exists just to say evil, disgusting things online. They're going to exist regardless of whether you write something that's Pulitzer worthy or you know just pretty good on its own. So it is what it is. We'll be here for you, yeah. and we'll shout you out here. Two vets upstate. So, and, and I think you say it's like as much as Twitter is like an awful hellscape. I've met some like legitimately <laughs> amazing people with whom I am actually friends. Yeah, because of it, like Kate yeah. and Joe were just wonderful people. Um, I had um, Cole. Oh yeah, Cole Nidre and Yom Kippur were last week. That was a thing that happened. So I went yes. over to. Matt Moore is also known as the War Axe and Natasha's house for like Cole Nidre. And I know them both through Twitter. I mean, it, it, it feels like very weird and like very 2003 to be meeting online people offline. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like they're, and, and some of these, and also some of the, you know, the tweeps I've never met, but, and, and probably won't, but you still also know that there's this community of people who like, I don't know. It's weird that like in Twitter of Twitter of all places, you can actually Twitter is a weird medium and I'll just leave it at that. But there just are communities of people who are not just there to support you. They're there to make you better because they fundamentally care about some of the same issues. So. Well, Andrea, I think as we wrap up the show here, do you want to talk about a pretty exciting announcement that we have? We've already teased it on social media, but we might as well say it here on the show. Okay. So Roger and I are planning to bring the podcast to a live audience. Um, We have two shows upcoming this fall, one that's likely in October and one in November. We will share details when they're confirmed. Um, we will hint that one is upstate and one will probably not be upstate. <laughs> but um, yes, 
Uh, we'll share details about it, but we're really um, excited, humbled, amazed that people listen to us um, and, and want to take this thing live. So stay tuned. I'm excited. Looking forward to it. Andrea, I just want to say once again, congratulations on your capstone coming through and getting published. It's always good to see you in print. And who knows, maybe we'll have the additional benefit next time of having a Bills team that has three wins and two losses. We just really don't know what's going to happen at this point. Go Bills. Go Bills. (laughs) We will see you next time here on Two Vets Upstate, everybody. Have a good night. Good night.